The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and guests and in no way represent the state of Oklahoma, the Oklahoma Historical Society, or the Oklahoma State Historic Preservation Office. After a lifetime of ADD-induced hyperfocusing, I have decided to share the things that fascinate me. I'm Jack, and welcome to Musings of an ADD Mind. Editor Jack here from the future. I wanted to give a warning that my audio in this episode is messed up in a few places. Uh, because I've been having audio issues in the past, I tried different recording software and the way it edited and formatted it together, my audio is garbled and lowered in places. So I apologize for that. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Musings of an ADD Mind podcast. This is your host, Jack, and I have the ADD Mind. Today, as is my one episode tradition of ending the month with a music, podcast. I've got my brother-in-law Larry on, who is a major, major fan of music. I'd say at one point he had roughly 9,000 CDs, and uh, it took him forever to get everything downloaded onto his iPod back in the day. But anyway, Larry, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on, and uh, I guess say hi to the to the listeners. I appreciate that, uh, Jack, and thanks for having me. Hello, everyone out there. Family, I know you're going to be listening to this after a while. Jack, appreciate uh, all your podcasts so far. I would like to just say they've been uh, pretty entertaining, good listen. Um, they've uh, they've been fun for all of us listening on this end, so appreciate you. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. It's an interesting thing to endeavor on to start a podcast. <laughs> say that. So, Larry has, there's one particular artist who is his favorite artist, I believe, of all time. I'm saying mm -hmm. that because he has named two pets after this person. <laughs> <laughs> so, since he's the guest, I'm going to let him go first and talk about his artist first. So, Larry, go ahead and introduce your artist and explain to us why he's amazing. All right. Uh, I'll... I'll start uh, kind of with with everything um, musically for me, and like Jack explained, I'm a huge music fan. Um, for me, it's just how I connect with everything in the world, and that probably sounds a little pretentious or whatever, but you know, it's it's what impacts me during worship. It's what impacts me with the the feelings I'm feeling of, of love and even sadness or, or what have you. But since I was a little kid, that's kind of the way it's been. But uh, with all things music, for me, it starts uh, with Stevie Wonder. And, uh, you know, just kind of as a little aside, I'll say that, you know, when you throw that name out there, it's probably not the most impressive thing people are expecting to hear from someone who, uh, you know, is self-professed as a music nerd. But my journey in music started um, very young. I had parents who were always listening to some kind of music. Um, and I still remember as vividly as, as if it happened yesterday uh, regarding um, Stevie. My parents brought home a VHS tape that was a sing-along. And it had, uh, it was Hanna-Barbera cartoons. And they were all um, kind of set to this old school uh, music, old, old time rock and roll, I think is the name of the VHS. I actually bought it on eBay several years ago after I found it. But, but uh, 
uh, in particular, there were two Stevie Wonder songs on there, uh, one of which was Superstition. Since that moment, I must have been eight, maybe even seven, uh, when this happened. Uh, it had these little, you know, these little ghouls, these little uh, figure, green figures, I don't even know what to call them, uh, blob-looking things that were kind of moving in the rhythm to uh, to Superstition. And something about that resonated with me, the visual, but as well as hearing it, I felt like I was experiencing it, you know, like I was a part of it. Uh, and since then superstition has been my favorite song. Uh, it, it continues to be to this day. And, you know, it's an easy answer for me when people ask who's your favorite artist of all time, Stevie wonder. Um, I, I could go on and on about, uh, superstition, but everybody knows that one, you know, that, uh, that hook that starts out on that synthesizer that, that he plays and goes throughout the song. Um, it, it just, it grabs you. And, you know, anytime I hear that, you know, there are different versions of it. Stevie Ray Vaughan did a version of it. Uh, Jeff Beck actually did a version of superstition, which Stevie actually wrote superstition for Jeff Beck interestingly enough but then he decided it was so good he needed to release it anyway so he gave uh jeff beck another song um which is an instrumental uh titled because we've ended his lovers phenomenal song um jeff beck released it actually sounds like uh, a track you would expect to hear on dave gilmore's uh first solo album uh, very much very much along those lines got to check out because we've ended his lovers I think anybody will be surprised. That's really cool. That's sort of like um, a lot of people don't realize a lot of Kenny Rogers hits were written by Lionel Richie. Yes. Yes. And uh, I'm a big Lionel fan too, but uh, yeah, great, great point. Um, Stevie, I, I do my best to not get long winded. Like I said, I could go on forever, but um Stevie wrote a lot of songs for, for other people as well, like many Motown artists did. Um, Tears of a Clown for, for Smokey Robinson, The Miracles, um, Tell Me Something Good by Rufus with Chaka Khan, uh, two of my favorite songs. And they're Stevie. I sing them as Stevie songs, but they're, they're not really, you know, he's, he's not known for those uh, in particular, but uh, several other things like that. But, um, Okay, so so to walk through this, um, kind of what I've gotten written down and the other things I wanted to share. Superstition, already talked about that one. It being my, you know, just all-time favorite song. The other one that I would mention, kind of lockstep with that, is Pastime Paradise. And it's one that, you know, for a lot of folks, they recognize it because Coolio did Gangsta's Paradise, you know. And, oh, yeah. Okay. And, and that song's actually in a commercial right now. And it, right. And, and, and so that, that's where it comes from. And I even remember when Coolio played it at the Grammys and Stevie was on there with him. I thought, well, that's really cool, you know. But I, I really wasn't even aware at that point of Pastime Paradise. You know, and I was born in 1980, so it, it predates me. But it was on Songs in the Key of Life in 1976. The thing I love about this song, what makes the song great in my mind, is the, the just the intentional focus that's paid to all, every detail from start to finish. Um, and I'll get into that in just a second. But you know, the in, in as a whole, the song is about, you know, rather than focusing on the past and all these things, you know, let's focus on the future and what it can be. And so he's really almost deriding, you know, the past and what that's looked like, especially as it comes to uh, racial relations, you know, and, and I mean, it's a song written, you know, out of the kind of the same vein of 
uh, you know, Marvin Gaye's what's going on, things like that. Uh, even though several years after that, but really kind of looking, you know, beyond that for me, it remains as relevant as it would have been back then when you kind of think of it in the context of the, you know, make America great again, again, or whatever, you know, (laughs) and, and it's like, okay, well, you know, a lot of people are living in, in the past and a time that wasn't great for everybody, you know, and really Stevie's calling for us to look forward. Um, the thing I like about this is that the first verse in chorus, he's really looking at the past and he's, it's past focused. And then the second verse in chorus are focused on the future. And then there's not a second verse, but there's a third chorus where he does kind of both past and future. Um, and I won't probably read through all of it, but I would like to read some of those lyrics. But it's kind of a parallel, you know, mirror of one another uh, is what he's trying to do. And, you know, I used, I used to buy these, these DVDs, you know, the making behind, you know, whatever. I think I've got one for dark side of the moon. I've got one for songs in the key of life. And when they talked about this one, I was blown away when they talked about this song. And at the very beginning of the song, there's a gong you know, just the sound of a gong being struck. And that's the intro. And it's just this one to two second little thing most people would never pay any attention to. But on the outro, there's also the sound of a gong being struck. Except that Stevie and the engineer um, went into the uh, went into the booth or whatever, and they recorded that sound backwards for the outro. Oh, wow. because they wanted to truly be this like mirror image the the beginning of the song the end of the song and i remember they spent like 24 hours just trying to make that happen like this this ridiculous amount of time just to get that two second thing to probably most people ignored perfect you know what i mean yeah yeah so yeah that's uh, that's really cool to put that sort of i always like music that puts that technical like work yeah into something for like a one second payoff, but the fact that the artist will put hours and hours for one second is something that I, I really appreciate. And, 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 and for me, I mean, it just shows how much into this Stevie was. Now he was kind of right in, in the, uh, kind of at the, at the, the pinnacle of his creative, you know, time period there in the seventies, starting with, uh, most people generally look at music of my mind in 72. I, I, I kind of looked back just a little bit before that kind of in lockstep with Marvin Gaye doing what's going on. Stevie did from where I'm coming from and, or where I'm coming from, excuse me. But, uh, you know, he, he kind of started doing his own thing and breaking the Motown mold, um, and, and writing their own stuff, directing their own messages from that point. So this is kind of the culmination of that. And he spent, he spent over a year um, writing and, and recording um, songs in the key of life, which is what this comes from. But um, anyway, I, I can imagine paying that level of detail to anything would take its time. <laughs> but uh, right, just, right, just just really kind of paints a picture of, of how intentional he wanted to be with this message. But anyway, um, uh, enough of that. Let's uh, let's go to the lyrics here. Well, well, before you read the lyrics, I do have one thing that I would like to add because. While Coolio did sample the music and everything, that of course led to the amazing Amish Paradise by Weird Al Yankovic. You, yeah. You, so <laughs> we, we really have Stevie to thank for that. <laughs> I'm not sure which one I prefer more, but uh, I think Amish Paradise probably over Gangsta's Paradise. But <laughs> well, it is more relevant. 
it, it is to me. <laughs> yeah. From Piedmont, Oklahoma, not much of a gangster's paradise out That's here. That's right. You you have churned milk once or twice. <laughs> Living in a Piedmont paradise. <laughs> That's right. Oh my gosh! See, there's there's part four right there, ready, ready to go. I don't think I can right, pull go that ahead off. And read the lyrics. Sorry, I just needed to throw that uh, little aside in there. <laughs> no, great, great point. Um, so for uh, for pastime paradise, um, it starts out been spending most of their lives living in a pastime paradise. They've been spending most of their lives living in a pastime paradise been wasting most of their time glorifying days long gone behind have been wasting most of their days in remembrance of ignorance oldest praise tell me who of them will come to be how many of them are you and me dissipation of race relations consolation segregation dispensation isolation exploitation mutilation mutation miscreation confirmation to the evils of the world and that's that's the whole like first verse, first chorus type of thing. But then it goes into, and really the chorus starts, you know, before the verse. So it's kind of interesting how the whole thing goes. We go into the second part, and this is really where the you know the the bridge is is uh, you know we're we're kind of past the dividing line here. He says, "Been spending most of their lives living in a future paradise. They've been spending most of their lives living in a future paradise." been looking in their minds for the days that sorrow's gone from time. They keep telling of the day when the Savior of love will come to stay. Tell me who of them will come to be. How many of them are you and me? Proclamation of race relations, consolations, integration, verification of revelations, acclamation, world salvation, vibrations, stimulation, confirmation to the peace of the world. And then he goes through kind of weaving both of those together, you know, he goes, he says the, the pastime paradise and the future paradise, looking both at, and at the end, he, he goes right to, you know, we've been spending too much of our lives living in a pastime paradise. Let's start living our lives, living for the future paradise. Praise to our lives, living in the future paradise. Shamed anyone's lives, living in a pastime paradise. So. I mean, it's really his plea and really even him chastising, you know, um, those right, that are just, right. just stuck in the, you know, the days of old. And I'm sure that rubbed people the wrong way. It probably rubs people the wrong way now when folks kind of say we've got to uh, be more progressive. You know, look look to the betterment of all people, not just a, a select group of folks. Yeah, I don't think members of the uh, Proud Boys are probably fans of that song. No, no, probably not. Uh, those are some pretty pretty deep lyrics and i will definitely um be listening to that song probably tomorrow when i'm at work you know now it's like oh wow now that means a little more <laughs> and so i'm definitely going to go back and uh, give it another listen because that is pretty deep and that's the great thing about music you can write a song in 1971 and it can be completely you know the immediate thing that's going on 50 years later and it's perfectly worded for that and right a lot of times music is sort of the only medium where that can happen. You know, most of them, a lot of movies made in like the 1950s, they're just not necessarily important these days because society is so different. But music is so sort of deep. It transcends time almost. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's it's sad in some respects that we're still kind of stuck, you know, in, in that moment where we're looking for 
like I said, you know, the betterment for all, not just there, not just necessarily a select group, but music, as you said, it, it, it transcends, uh, time. A lot of, the, I mean, I, I love old music. You know that I run through my top 10 list of, of artists and most of it, um, probably pretty much in line with, uh, with several of your favorites, right. But a lot of them are older. So, um, but you know, it, just I, I don't know that that song still gives me chills you know as much as the first time i really listened to it you know actively and and uh, and connected with it but you know it was a lot of things that, that stevie did you know especially during that time period i know a lot of folks and you'd even mentioned previously you're more familiar with the stuff in the 80s and you know i just called to say i love you and things like that 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 came on later and that, that stuff had had its place but you know the Stevie Wonder in the 70s, perhaps a lot of people at this point aren't even really that in tune with what all that stuff was about. But man, it's it, it just, it's moving, you know, it's yeah, it, it's an experience. Everyone needs to go and give 70s Stevie Wonder a listen. And I also believe Stevie Wonder is the one that wrote We Are the World, correct? Um, you know, Michael Jackson like wrote the chorus, but Stevie wrote the rest of it, did he not? Um, actually, uh, that was, uh, you know, obviously Stevie was like front and center, one of the main stars of the thing, um, along with Michael and Bruce Springsteen, but Lionel Richie and Michael Jackson, I believe were the, uh, were the driving forces behind that. Yeah. I, I am going to, I'm not doing it today, but Lionel Richie has got to be someone that has been, dis- has to be discussed when we discuss music because. That man is more influential than most people realize. And there probably aren't a lot of people that have written songs that have been number one on R&B, pop, country. Who knows what else he's had, you know, number one hits on. But Lionel Richie's unique in that. Not to, you know, I just ADD'd. No, you know, you're right. It's, well, music has so many tentacles like that. Even just as you're saying that, I'm thinking to myself, you know, even during We Are the World, which was a big thing, right? And the star power behind that song and, and all that stuff. We may never see something like that again. They've tried, right? But uh, I, I was even thinking, it's like, no, probably Stevie's biggest uh, biggest thing to that, or I don't know, value or whatever, just the biggest role he played other than the singing thing was he had an idea, well, maybe we should sing a version in Swahili. And, and Waylon Jennings wanted no part of it. And he walked out and didn't participate in We Are the World because Stevie Wonder wanted to do it in Swahili, which, okay, funny enough, Swahili wouldn't have been one of the native languages for the part of Africa that they were uh, worried about. <laughs> yeah. But, no, uh, yeah. Swahili, I believe, is more uh, Southern Africa. Yeah. So he, he started, he, he started a little, or not, not a feud, but he, he at least pissed off Waylon Jennings enough that he just left. Well, so, you know, he was part of outlaw country, so I guess if he didn't get a little pissed off at We Are the World, he didn't do them justice. But that's right. I think Willie stuck around. Willie definitely stuck they, around. Yeah, he, yeah, he got, Willie he, was probably. Yeah, he, he got his moment in the spotlight, though. Um. Okay, let's back on track here. Uh, there are a couple other. I know I don't want to go too long here, but a couple other Stevie Wonder songs I just wanted to mention. Again, I I. I sure. Sure. I'd say, you know, start in 1971, listening to where I'm from or where I'm coming from and go through the uh, the 70s. If you want to listen to just classic Stevie. But there are a few others that, again, always connecting something with, uh, you know, through music 
I think about, uh, you know, my wife, Amanda, your sister, um, and the song creeping, which is from, uh, fulfilling this first finale. It's a mouthful, but, uh, you know, the song, and I won't go through all the lyrics here, but just to say, you know, basically he, he can't get this person out of his mind. And I remember this song being stuck with me, uh, when we first started dating, just, you know, pumped up about it and possibility. We knew almost immediately, you know, that, you know, we, we were going to fit together pretty nicely there. Right. But this song, anytime it comes on, I mean, there's only one thing I'm thinking about <laughs> and that's her, you know, and, uh, right, right. and this song, you know, other people have done it. A lot of people have covered Stevie stuff, but, um, man, it's, it's just so, so perfect for that moment. It's almost kind of reminds me of old 55, uh, which the Eagles did, but it was a Tom Waits song just in that, you know, I connect a specific moment with thinking about, uh, my wife and, you know, it, it just, it, it fits perfectly and makes me all, all gushy inside. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I remember a, a certain trip at frontier city where there was a sort of a group of you that were all the same age and you were following Amanda around like a puppy dog. Mm-hmm. Yep. I remember that. I well. remember that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the other song, and, and there's one I think of for all my kids, but the other one, and, and I will go through some lyrics on this one because I think it's really powerful and it speaks kind of the things I'd like to say to my son, John, you know, and I know, I know you know this, but for, for any listeners out there, you know, John, you know, struggles with a little bit of anxiety, you know, and kind of self-confidence and he gets that from Amanda in, in some respects. I think the self-confidence part but uh, the song is titled Smile, Please. And it's from the same album as that other one, Creepin'. It's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. the the lyrics here um, are, are things that I'd like to sometimes just be able to, to, to scream at John and get him to understand, you know, how beautiful he is. I tell this kid, you know, over and over again, I have since he was a tiny guy that he's got a million-dollar smile. And it's literally, I, I, I feel this strongly in my soul, you know, it's kind of smile that, that could change the world, you know, it just, just when he gives that thing to people, it, it's, it's that good, you know, but, uh, so, so this song, he, he's, he's singing to somebody who's, who's not happy, you know, and mm-hmm. the name of the song is smile, please. And, uh, the lyrics go, a smiling face is an earth like star. A frown can't bring out the beauty that you are love within and you'll begin smiling. There are brighter days ahead. Don't mess your face up with bitter tears because life is going to be what it is. It's okay. Please don't delay from smiling. There are brighter days ahead. And the the chorus is actually, interestingly enough, just him kind of humming this bum bum, you know, ditty bum bum thing, but uh, kind of interesting. But then it goes on to the second part of the, uh, or the, the second verse um, is a smiling face you don't have to see. Cause it's as joyous, joyful as a Christmas tree love within and you'll begin smiling. There are brighter days ahead. Love's not competing. It's on your side. You're in life's picture. So why must you cry? So for a friend, please begin to smile, please. <laughs> there are brighter days ahead. And then he goes back to that kind of humming thing that it's really perfect in time with the music, but, um, right. S- I don't know how you put that much feeling into how you're just kind of making these sounds uh, that, that he makes, but it's, it's perfect. You know, for me, it just, it makes me think so much. It makes me cry, honestly, you know, cause 
there are just times you want to be able to get through, you know, to people and, you know, you, you feel what your kids are feeling. No doubt. I know you're, you're a father of three, you know, you feel what your kids are going through and, and you want to be able to just snap your fingers and make it better. And, you know, sometimes you just have to sit there with them, let them process their stuff, cry through it, and then, then move on. But John's also, the thing. yeah, yeah. John's also a very musical guy and he connects with a lot of stuff and he loves the next artist I'm going to talk about. Uh, I'll save that for when we get there. But, um, you know, the, this song is one, I, I don't know. Sometimes I just want to put it on repeat, and make him listen to it. He may not appreciate, but, uh, you know, uh, I'd, I'd wish he'd, uh, kind of connect with the lyrics the same way I try to, uh, try to connect with him, connect through the, through the lyrics there. But anyway, um, well, he, he will, when he gets older, believe it or not, I used to think that my kids, like I tortured them with the music that I listened to. I didn't let them listen to the crappy stuff they called music. <laughs> but anyway, um, <laughs> but as adults, they all have a deep appreciation now for the music that they grew up listening to. So it'll hit him. It might not hit him until he's 25. Right. But it'll hit him. And all of a sudden he'll be like, you know, dad, I really love me some Stevie Wonder. And then, and just for the record, we're men, we weep. We don't cry. Right. Yeah. No, I make, I'm, 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 I make sadness cry. I make it leak out of me. Right. He'll, uh, you'll get a little tear in your eye and think it sunk through. <laughs> I'm not a macho guy. I got no problem with crying. It's just how it is. Okay. Um, well, I weep. <laughs> um, I do have, uh, just three others real quick and we'll move on. But, uh, just okay. so my, I know my kids will be listening. I want to be fair and give them just a moment, a shout out oh, yeah. uh, time. for the songs that, uh, you know, that I, I really think of Lawrence, you know, was my firstborn and, uh, just, just such, such a great kid. And I love him to death. And, and I was in love with him the second he was born you know, before that too and all that, but as soon as it was real, you know, he was tangible. He's there in my hands and it's like, boom, oh my God, I'm in love with this thing. And not just a little bit, like all the way, you know, you know how it is. Right. But, um, and so the song, I believe when I fall in love, it will be forever, uh, from talking book in 1972, um, is, is kind of perfect for that. Um, for Mallory, there's a song. Um, interestingly enough, it's just titled "As," uh, and it's on uh, "Songs in the Key of Life" from '76. But he goes through this this whole thing about just equating, um, you know, I guess you could just say, in in some respects, the immeasurable amount of love he has for for this person. But he's saying. Um, it, it it's always, it will be always, it will never end that kind of thing. So really cool. Kind of the, the imagery that he, he uses there. Cause he uses some really ridiculous statements in the song. But one of the other things I really love about the songs, it's one of a handful of songs that Stevie at some point kind of starts growling the lyrics, almost like he's, uh, almost like he's angry. He does that in living for the city too, by the way, which living for the city is an amazing song, just kind of, if there was ever just kind of this picture painted with lyrics and the song and, and how, how deeply you can feel what this person's going through living for the city is it. But he does that in the end of this song too. He's almost kind of shouting, growling these lyrics. It's, it's really interesting because he changes his voice uh, completely for it, but, but a really cool thing. And then, you know, lastly, well, I'd, well hang on before you go on, yeah. before you get on, move on to the, to the youngest Mallory is the voice 
that you hear the little girl's voice that says, um, where she says, you know, the podcast you're listening to, that is, that is Mallory. That's yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> the first time I heard that, by the way, it just tickled me. I think I texted you and said, I just heard her, uh, just heard her little spot her her, uh, bumper whatever you call the thing there that uh that plays yeah. and i was just oh yeah i was i was overjoyed <laughs> yeah pretty cool, pretty cool. <laughs> it, it took a while to get her to do it and then she was like well i don't put it on the podcast and i was like no it'll be fun and she finally agreed i need to play that for her uh, so she yeah didn't hear it she'd she'd get a joy she'd get a trip out of here now i'm sure um right all right. Anyway, then, moving on to the kid number four. The the final issue, um, Matthew. Uh, Matthew and I have a really interesting relationship because he is a mama's boy, one hundred percent. He could take me or leave me, you know, and I it's, I have no problem with that, you know. He's he should love his mama. Every boy should, every girl should, for that matter. But um, it, it's just so funny because even when I was talking to him about doing this. And I was thinking about doing the song Saturn because it's kind of outer space stuff, which you can be fascinated with at times. Um, he thought that was pretty cool. And then we were talking about another song, which was uh, Superwoman. And uh, it doesn't really fit, but it just has a you know a superhero type of theme, right? When, yeah. And least, Matthew is a superhero kid. He is, he's a, bit of a, a boy that loves superheroes he's not a marvel dc guy he likes them all equally uh he that kid knew the name of of the uh, super, of superheroes probably long before he could do anything else <laughs> yeah yeah and there's no doubt like about the it he's, word, the third word he said was superman right yeah he's he's in walking <laughs> encyclopedia it, it it really it astounds me now he'll say who's so-and-so? And I'm like, I don't know. I've never heard of that dude, you know, or whatever. And it's like, what's well, up, blah, blah, blah. And you go right down the thing. I'm like, Jesus, man, I don't, how do you even know that? Well, it's from playing video games or listening to you or Tim or whatever. I don't know, but he, he knows it. So it's, uh, he it's does. Pretty, he it's, does. It's pretty amazing. But, um, anyway, in, in recognition of the fact that I'm just kind of a second fiddle, you know, to his mom, um, and I love the kid with everything inside of me, so I don't take it personally, but, uh, Stevie does a song called all is fair in love. And, uh, that finally, uh, it's from nine, it's from 73's inner visions, but that one's really the one that fit more perfectly because he's just saying, Hey, sometimes you win or lose. It's like, yeah, I'm always going to be second, you know, when, it, when it comes to Matthew and his mama and that's perfectly fine. But, uh, that, that's the one that fit there. And it, and that's, that's such a cool song because the song uh, it's mainly just vo voice and, uh, and piano, but Stevie builds through this whole thing and he's mm -hmm. really singing almost like you think of somebody with this just booming voice, you know, like, uh, I don't know who's that cat that, uh, the singer, um, dead gummit, uh, it's kind of like Frank Sinatra or something of, uh, modern times. I can't believe I just moved uh... on that. Doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you could use that. That'd be a, that'd be a good uh, good example. More of a, a newer guy, but uh, is who I was trying to think of. Just Michael Bublé. You know, he's got, he's got more more powerful voice. You know, kind of on that uh, that end of things. But anyway, um, I, I often try to forget Michael Michael Bublé. No, so. you probably probably should. Although I think he has covered a Stevie song. Um, you can edit all that part out where I was trying to think of his name. <laughs> but anyway. Um, <laughs> Stevie sings in such a powerful manner right here. Like someone trying to get on America that has uh, 
talent or whatever, the voice or something like this is a song they need to be singing during that audition because it would blow people's friggin' minds if they can nail it. Now, I don't know if everybody can nail it, but, you know, if they do, it seems to me like they'd be in, uh, in like Flynn. So that's what I got on Stevie. That, uh, that was a lot of, that was a lot of dense information <laughs> in there. I'm not complaining. Uh, that's the whole purpose of, you know, this, this particular type of podcast that we're doing, uh, talking about music. And if it gets a few people to go and listen to Stevie wonder, then we've done our job. There you go. That's yeah. That's the whole point of it. And I will say in regards of Matthew, uh, that kid has energy in the excess. Unbounded. He will come and spend the weekend with us in the energy imbalance between me at almost 50 and him at five. When he goes on Sunday, I am ready to go to bed for the evening because he is. It doesn't matter if it's two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm exhausted. <laughs> yeah, no, that can you imagine? I mean, just his teachers, God bless them. I, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> all, all day long. I love the kid, man. I do. I love him. I love him. Lord have mercy. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how Amanda does it, you know, just. Just for the uh, the time periods of I'm at work, you know, and he's home. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that's uh, now Matthew. All of their kids are good, are good kids, and they're starting the, the two older boys are starting the football journey, which is nice. And if they don't start doing the exercises I have told them to do in the off season, they're going to regret it next season. But anyway, <laughs> completely ADD the track again. Um, I'm going to discuss my band now. And if you know me, you know that they're one of my favorite bands. And that is The Flaming Lips. Yes, sir. They have, they have been around since 1983. They're an Oklahoma City-based band. That's not the reason why I like them. Now, I will say it is cool when you're walking around the Super Walmart and Wayne Coyne walks by you, their lead singer. <laughs> That's kind of cool. The Flaming Lips are probably one of the more unique bands that there have been. Definitely. And they have sort of, there have been multiple, multiple versions of the Flaming Lips. The only original member in the band currently is Wayne Coyne, uh, their bassist, Michael Ivins, who had been with them since the beginning of the band. Uh, he retired in May. He just sort of decided, I guess, that he was tired of being in a band, I reckon. I don't know, <laughs> but hmm. so he retired. And the second longest member in the band is Stephen, I can never pronounce his name, Draws, Droids. I don't know. It's D-R-O-Z-D. I'm, I'm never sure how to pronounce the Z-D at the end. Yeah, I just assumed it was Draws, but I'm, yeah. I don't know either. Um, he, he's an amazing musician. I think he can literally play every instrument ever invented by mankind. Mm-hmm. And it, it's really weird when you see him live in concert, because for the longest time, he was the lead guitarist and the keyboardist, sometimes doing both at the same time. It's incredible. If you've never been to a Flaming Lips concert, doesn't matter if you know the music, go to a Flaming Lips concert. There is a confetti factory somewhere that the Flaming Lips have kept in business for the past 30 <laughs> years. They have confetti cannons that they shoot off. Wayne shoots them off throughout the, throughout the concert. And when it's done, the floor in front of the stage is a good two inches deep of confetti. It is amazing. But <laughs> that being said, the Flaming Lips are mostly known for the song She Don't Use Jelly, which is kind of a silly song. And they do have a lot of silly songs. Wayne has a, a childlike innocence mixed with marijuana use 
in some of his writing. <laughs> Sometimes it's very nonsensical. But other times, Wayne writes incredibly deep songs. And you may not even necessarily realize, like maybe on first listening, just how deep the song is. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, the song Waiting for Superman. I wondered if you were going to mention that one. That's the oh, one I yeah. thought of when you said that. Yeah, um, that song is intensely deep. And, and when he wrote the song, his dad had been in the hospital for a while on hospice dying of cancer. And if you've never gone through a situation like that, every day you sort of think to yourself, man, this is getting you know heavy and intense. And then the next day it gets heavier. And you always sort of think, oh, I didn't think that could happen. And so at the beginning of the song comes from an actual conversation and thought that he had with his older brother. And it was... Uh, and the line is, asked you a question, I didn't need you to reply. It's getting heavy because it's getting heavy. So you're like, oh man, yeah. And then there's a point in the song where he talks about, is it overwhelming to have a crane crush a fly? You're listening to the musings of an ADD mind podcast. And the point is that Superman, if there was a world where he actually existed, nothing could ever stop him. And he would always be the crane and the rest of the world would be the fly. But Superman can't lift up your grief no matter how how much he tries. If you're grieving the loss of a family member, Superman can't help you with that. And that's the whole point of the song. And I think only Wayne Coyne could write a song from that viewpoint. I, I just don't know if anyone else could do that but Wayne Coyne. And it's from the uh, album, The Soft Bulletin. And then it also, on The Soft Bulletin, but it has the only song. You know, there, The album deals with death and stuff like that. But it's the only song sort of where it talks about after you've lost the family member, how your world sort of changes in unexpected ways. And the song basically just talks about how you'll be folding your laundry. Then all of a sudden you, you know, think of your mom or your dad and you just break down because suddenly everything has changed. And it's really, it can be really emotional to, uh, to hear that. I haven't actually listened to the song too much this year since my mom passed away, but anyway, it's just really a, a unique yet very truthful song. And then the album that came out after Soft Bulletin is probably the Flaming Lips masterpiece. If the Soft Bulletin is a nine, um, Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots is probably a a 9.5. And the only reason the Soft Bulletin isn't better is because the song Buggin' doesn't fit with the rest of the entire album. (laughs) But Warner Brothers made them put it on the album for length to make the album a little longer. And they have actually only performed it live once. And that was at a New Year's Eve concert at Oklahoma City where they performed the whole album. (laughs) That's the only time they've ever played it live. Yes, sir. And we were there. That is true. We were. (laughs) were. I love love the song Buggin'. I don't care if it fits or not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Buggin' probably would have worked better if it was on a pre-Soft Bulletin album. I, I don't know if it was left over from that time frame. Um, it definitely would have fit on like Hit to Death on the Future Head or something like that. But Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robot is also another. It sounds silly on the surface because it's about somebody fighting robots, but it's actually a little more than that. It's oddly deep. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
and um, I don't I don't even know how to fully explain Yoshimi Battles of the Pink Robot robots because it does put some definite imagery in your head and like there's a song and it's asking you know what is love or what is hate and why does it matter and in the in the viewpoint of the song it completely fits but sort of in the rest of the world sometimes you know you're just in a mood and you just don't care about stuff and doesn't matter love or hate you're just in this blah moment and it sort of fits that too and of course, the uh, the song at the end, do you realize, is just talking about how love your friends, love your family, because this life is it, and that's the time you have to tell them you love them. And then the third one, sort of in that trilogy of amazing creativity that they had, is At War with Mystics, and it's the third best of the three, so it's in third place. <laughs> <laughs> but it, even it has some lines that are quite potent one of the lines you know what would you really do with all your power and it's Mm. talking about if you suddenly had all the power in the world what would you do would you help people would you dominate people would you love people what would you do and that's sort of the question that you don't know what you would do with all of your power because that type of power most people never get to experience and then later on they have some uh some interesting things they did they they completely remade Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. And it is, it could not be any more different than the original Dark Side of the Moon. But I mean, like, they completely remade it. So all of, like, the backing tracks uh, in the album were, like, the person's talking, like, why should I care about dying? Everyone's got to die sometime. All of that is even <laughs> recorded as well. Uh, by Henry Rollins, by the way. But it's, I don't hate it. I don't know if I necessarily love it. <laughs> I, I can listen to it. It doesn't, you know, I don't want to jump off a bridge or something because it's so horrible. <laughs> but I think that like, I think because I've listened to the original Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd, I don't know, 10,000 times, their version is just so completely different that I just don't listen to it frequently. <laughs> it's if that makes sense at all. Well, yeah, and I didn't want to jump in too strongly there, but I mean, as much as everybody knows you love Pink Floyd, right? You talked about them in the last thing and, you know, Dark Side was, I mean, just an amazing, you know, album from start to finish. It, what what I thought of, and I love Pink Floyd too. Um, they're, they're one of my top tens, you know, but when the Lips decided to do their version of Dark Side and the, of the Moon, I, I kind of had this thought of, okay, this is going to be trippy acid rock type of thing, like right down, you know, their alley. They're going to make it flaming lifts, not just to try to rip off, you know, Dark Side of the Moon. And for me, right. I enjoyed kind of that sideways journey. It almost felt like listening to it in another dimension or something, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Where, it- it's, just it's like, a just, side quest on a video game. Yeah, it's just you know a little foggy, much less defined. You know, uh, just some 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 ambiguity in terms of the the theme there. But it for me, I liked it and I thought it worked. You know, and my only complaint is I hadn't been able to find that one on vinyl yet. But uh, anyway, I'm, I'm sure right. it's out there. I was not haven't looked yeah. that hard. I guess, but you know, yeah. and I was just going to say. say oh, go ahead. Okay. Um, so just quickly, you know, I, I, I loved the soft bulletin. I can't, I didn't start listening to the flaming lips other than she don't use jelly, you know, probably like most folks, uh, uh, they listened to it when it came out and that was probably all the attention paid to 
the flaming lips. I, I heard about the soft bulletin. Someone mentioned, hey, you've got to listen to this thing by the flaming lips. Like, what the hell are you talking about? The flaming lips wrote, you don't use jelly. You mean they actually have good music, you know, like music that people want to say, yeah, this is maybe the best record done in the 90s. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? And then I went and bought it, you know, and yeah. talk about a phenomenal, phenomenal album. It may be one of the best. I mean, well, I think it is one of the best of the nineties. I don't know if it's number if I one. Remember, but... If I remember correctly, Rolling Stone did a top 100 albums of the nineties. And I believe the soft bulletin is a top 20 song. Well, yeah. Top 20 albums. Sorry, album. It was the best albums of the nineties. And I believe the soft bulletin was in the top 20. I, I think it, it should be a top five at least, but it, just phenomenal. But even, even the other ones like uh, Yoshimi, and at war with the mystics, Yoshimi, you talked about, do you realize, and just what a, what a beautiful and unexpected song, right? It just, yeah. it didn't seem to fit with most of their stuff, but kind of like you said, a lot of their stuff is deep and you don't really realize it. Uh, totally, totally agree with that. But, uh, do you realize, I mean, it's like, it's, I'd, I'd use the word lovely. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm at, yeah, uh, no. <laughs> when, yeah. when I worked, when I worked with, uh, at the university of central Oklahoma, um, I met Scott Booker because he was the director of the, um, Academy of Contemporary Music that, uh, the UCO has, and he's, he's their manager. Right. And, yes. you know, just when he did his orientation, I, I, I did the safety part of it cause I'm a safety nerd. Right. But, uh, we talked right. about, when I, when I found out who he was, he introduced himself. I was like, Oh my, you're, you're the, uh, you're the lips manager. Yeah. Anyway, we talked about it just briefly. I've said, I used the word lovely. I've never used the word lovely. I don't think to apply to music <laughs> until I said it in that context to him. I said, do you realize it's just absolutely lovely? <laughs> and I, I kind of surprised yeah. myself there, but now that's the word that, that sticks with me about that song. And it really is. It's just, it's the perfect word to me for that song. But, uh, yeah. just, just quickly for at war with the mystics, the, uh, thing I remember hearing about that. And I loved that album too. I loved all those three in that trilogy, like you said there, but, um, the yeah, yeah, yeah song, uh, which is the one you were talking about with all your power, uh, what would you do? And that, I guess, became kind of a protest song. And and Wayne mm-hmm. Wayne didn't think of it. He didn't think of it that way. That's not why he wrote it that way. But he loves that it was picked up that way. And it just made me think. I recently heard uh, Dave Grohl saying something about, uh, or maybe I saw a meme or something. So who knows if it's a legitimate quote. But, you know, the, the, the point of it was, like, you can sing something to 85,000 people and have them sing it back for 85,000 different reasons. That's the power of music. Mm-hmm. That's how cool music yeah. is. And yeah. so, you know, even earlier we were talking about, you know, with Stevie, you know, how, you know, the context may be different or maybe it isn't after 50 years, you know, when a song's still just as valid, well, even if it's changed its meaning over time, that's pretty dead gum cool. That that's pretty unique to music. Yeah to me that, you know, people yeah, can make it yeah. their, their, whatever it means to them. That's their thing. And that's, that's what they connect to. And that's what they love about it. So for me, you know, hearing him talk about that I, in some interview or something, I think is where I heard him saying yeah. that, but just the fact that it, it has the power, you know, to, to mean something yeah. like that to someone else, that's pretty dead gum cool about music. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm just going to sort of buzz through in between at War with Mystics and uh, their remake of Dark Side of the Moon is embryonic. 
Sorry, they did embryonic. Embryonic is completely different. It's almost experimental. Larry hates embryonic. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> he does. Um, he's he is Larry is not a fan. I like it. It went. It's not necessarily my favorite, but I like it well enough. And then they released. They did songs for a lot of songs for movies. <laughs> what what's the Good Luck Chuck? They did the theme the theme song for that. And it's funny because it's the theme song for it, but in the background, in the chorus, is Steven in a very high voice going, you're a lucky motherfucker. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and that just cracks me up that it was still somehow, you know, like the main song for a, for a Hollywood movie. I don't, I don't know if someone didn't hear the whole song or if they added that in later. I don't know. <laughs> but it's really quite a most Faming Lips thing that they would do. And then they also have an album called The Terror, which is sort of about Wayne going through his divorce with his first wife. And then they did a song for Ender's Game. And then they made a 24-hour long song that I'm listening to it in chunks because I can't stay awake that long. So there's that. But that's probably got to be record setting. <laughs> and I'm then sure. They, uh, and then they came out with, I'm probably butchering this because I believe it's Check. It's Oxymelody. O C Z Y M L O D Y. I love that album. It is completely different. You will never be able to convince me that there wasn't a Sunday night where Wayne was watching Game of Thrones tripping on acid and then he wrote that album. But I absolutely love it. <laughs> I think acid has been a motivational factor for <laughs> uh for a lot of their stuff. <laughs> Perhaps. I'm I'm not going to argue that point with you. And then um, they recently, last September, came out with their last album, American Head. And Wayne, when um, Tom Petty died, Tom Petty was one of his favorite artists from when he was a younger fella. And when Tom Petty died, it really affected him. And they were asked to do the Tom Petty tribute concert where everybody picked a song and came out and sang it. In American Head, it's about his childhood in the 70s and drug culture in Oklahoma at the time. And it has all of these weird and different lyrics that completely work in the context of the album. Yeah. In like in one of the songs, he's talking about his, uh, I think it was his brother, but his girlfriend at the time worked at a slaughterhouse. And so one of the lines is literally, I got blood in my shoes because it's from the point of the girl working in the slaughterhouse while the brother's selling cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> it, I don't want to say like, listen to it because it's like making drug culture perfect. You're, you know, like glamorizing it because it's not, it, it's definitely not doing that. But I, I love, I love that album as well. It's probably my fourth favorite album of the Flaming Lips. And before we move on to the next artist, we took our kids to a Flaming Lips concert, a New Year's Eve concert. <laughs> and my youngest daughter, Emily was, I think eight. And Emily is, Emily is unique. She's always been unique. She's always, Emily doesn't dance to the beat of a different drummer. She's in a different instrument section, which is fine. <laughs> I love Emily for that. 
Emily has always just dressed however she wanted. And Emily loved the flaming lips when she was little. And so we took her to the concert. Now, we did make her wear N95 mask because we didn't want her getting high. But she <laughs> she absolutely had a blast at that concert. And when we were waiting in line to go into the concert, Flaming Lips fans are also unique. And Emily looked at us and she was like, Dad, Dad, for the first time in my life, I'm with my people. <laughs> <laughs> and she was not wrong. And she actually, because uh, my wife knows uh, Scott Booker, their manager, and we ran into him and he looked at Emily and he was like, wow, you fit in. <laughs> and so that was funny. And then the museum I work at did a, a rock and roll, Oklahoma and rock and roll and the Flaming Lips were there. And Emily walked up to Wayne Coyne, sort of punched him in the stomach and he looked down and she goes, Wayne, the Flaming Lips are my favorite band and my favorite songs are. Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots, the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah song, and this here giraffe. And Wayne <laughs> chuckled and he looked down at her and he said, if this here giraffe is one of your favorite songs, you truly are a Flaming Lips fan. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah. That, yeah that That's was awesome. A, yeah, that was definitely, a, it was definitely funny because I think maybe at first he thought that, you know, she was pulling his leg, even though she was wearing a Flaming Lips concert t-shirt. <laughs> But then when she said that, he was just like, yeah. This here giraffe is a lighthearted song about a giraffe at the Oklahoma City Zoo that he wrote after going to the zoo. Give it a listen. <laughs> it's the best giraffe song there is. I, I don't know any other giraffe songs, but it's definitely a good one. Well, then it might be the best giraffe song <laughs> for that reason. But it is definitely the best song about giraffes in the history of the world. So there's that. And holy crap, Larry, we have just talked for an hour. Yeah. Okay, Larry, we uh, went a lot longer than we had talked about uh, pre-show conversation. Spent a little time. A little time. Yeah, went considerably longer than that. So this Music with Larry is now going to be a two-parter, and you're going to have to listen through the episodes in November to find out the next two artists or musicians that we're going to discuss. Isn't that nice of us? Cliffhanger. Yes. It's the ultimate cliffhanger. Who will it be? Anyway, so I'm going to go ahead and end this episode, and Larry and I will finish up this conversation. Future Larry and Jack, or actually, I guess past Larry and Jack, will finish up this conversation in the future. So I'm going to go ahead and end this half of it with, remember, try to live your life in a way that would make Mr. Rogers proud.